What's up, everybody? This is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. We got Lee here. What's up, Lee? Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. <laughs> I got Lee on the video phone, the bat phone. We're listening to Spoon, and uh, I'm going to lower that, I guess, eventually. Yeah, this uh, Lee, do you like Spoon? Uh, I don't know him, really. Do you know that song? Um, maybe if I heard it. I'm not sure. Ah. I like Fork. I like Knife. I can only assume I like Spoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I like Fork. I like Knife. You must like Spoon. Um, they do They do a couple, a couple of good ditties. This is another one. This is called Don't You Ever. But uh, Spoon's Spoon's good people. Spoon's a good time. They have this cool vibe to them. Um, They honestly sound a little bit like cake. (laughs) Another one word. Kitchen item. Kitchen related. Right. You would never eat cake with a spoon, but you might listen to them in the same playlist. Cake had some big, big hits. Big time hits. Yeah, I like I like the cake. Um, that was my first the first karaoke song I did with Eva on our like second or third date. Is it I short did, skirt? Um, no, I did going the distance. Oh, another good one. Yeah, because that first verse um, is yeah, it's just uh, reluctantly crouched at the starting line. <laughs> it's yeah that. Um, that kind of the starting line. that talk rap i mean with that talk singing kind of thing yeah like monotone drone yep <laughs> eva said she could never do it um because of that that sing talk kind of thing she's an amazing singer but she wouldn't get down with that and i loved it sir i ate it up she don't do the white boy rap oh i ate it up get it the cake oh. I, ate it. I do get it up yeah, you don't really do karaoke because you like just make real music. Yeah, yeah, I sing for reals. So, I mean, I have done karaoke. I also don't go out very much ever, unless I'm playing. Well, you doing Minarets by Dave Matthews Band is is like your version of karaoke, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I played a lot of cover shows, a lot of a lot of Dave songs, Zeppelin, and Talking Heads, and Dispatch, and all that good stuff. So I guess that kind of counts. Yeah, yeah, those are all good. I love talking heads, uh, obviously. I know you love Dispatch so much. (laughs) Oh, man, we had, that was one of my favorite epic rants was was on Dispatch. It definitely was great. (laughs) Well, I don't even remember. That's pretty close. That's the one that fucking gets me. Anyway, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a ridiculous one. Um, did, last time we were talking about um, female musicians, and obviously we talk about music every time. But um, do you pay for music ever now? Do you pay to go to shows now that you're a professional musician who has your own um, festival? Um, not really, but I didn't really before. I was. After college, I was never really like the go out guy. Like, yeah, like I'll I see it like a some kind of function. I don't know. I usually just work and go home and work on my music and stuff. And then if I'm going out, it's to play a show. So, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was I was just wondering about that that earlier, sir. Yeah. Um, the one cool thing is that if I want to see a band, I can organize to play a show with them. Obviously, <laughs> up to a certain level, not, not like Colin Humphreys up. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like good, good local musicians and stuff like that. If I want to hear, yeah, I can be like, hey, let's do a show. Yeah. Um. So, have you given any thought to uh? The la- watch, come see the ladies rock at Threestable Marketing. Oh, I, I mean, I definitely have been thinking about that since we talked about it. We're all booked up already for the, um, for the upcoming one. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we do three a year, so there's plenty of, plenty of interest, definitely. Yeah, I'd be happy to help make copy or, or fiddle with the uh, marketing stuff if you ever want, want a hand yeah. or room with that because yeah. sounds like a fun project you got going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you're ever uh, in my area when the, everything syncs up, you can stop by. I'll let you in for free. Whoa, VIP. No, I would definitely want to pay and contribute. Um, but I, one of these days, man, maybe, uh, I don't know, 2019 could be the year. I'm not sure. But one of these years, I'm coming to a reasonable for sure. I feel like 2019 is going to be a crazy year. Like, I feel like so much is hinging on what happens over the next 12 months for everybody. You mean like for the world, for the country, for yourself? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like, I was I was thinking about what what how are we going to look back on this time? 2018, 2019. It's a crazy time. A lot of people are saying that Donald Trump will be the last president and after, <laughs> <laughs> and after him everything is going to change because the system got so royally fucked around. Dude, that's a creepy. I mean, Eva talks about everything being scary and like I try not to think I'm an optimist and I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> the final scary, scary, but God damn it. That's scary and frightening. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, I am the final president of America. I've been saying recently, like bi- whether it's biology, evolution, um, society, psychology, it's so hard, almost impossible to get better without something negative pushing down on you without some counteractive pressure. It's hard to just get better on your own. You know what I mean? Whether whether you need gravity to like sustain your, your bone density or whether you do resistance training to maintain your muscle mass um, or whether it's social change or, or like evolution has this with bottlenecks um, biologically. Anyway, you know, this could be hopefully without destroying everything, this could be the thing that gets us to um, re, re-secure our institutions. I don't know. That's the best that we can hope, right? Yeah, I think that uh, we lack a uh, a shared narrative at this point. Everybody's kind of all the different countries are doing their own thing, and all the different religions are pulling away from each other, and all the people who are not affiliated with the main mainstream religions are pulling away, and everything is just kind of in chaos right now. Yeah, in the political and the social, and uh, everybody's getting poorer. Right, the rich getting re- yeah the the wealth gap, the income inequality, as they say, yeah, getting bigger here in 2019. Yeah, we're just in a very in between space right now. Like the internet was just invented like 19 years ago, the iPhone just came out like 11 years ago. Right. You know what I mean? Like it has not been as long as everybody thinks it's been since the technological revolution. So yeah, electric cars are still brand new. We're still driving ourselves around, which we've talked about as like the most dangerous thing you can do. So there were guinea pigs and very much in the beginning stages of, of yeah, this technology thing. Yeah. Who knows if the cell phone radiation has given us all brain cancer. 
Oh, dude, that is totally. I've always thought that. Like, what, what you see old commercials from the fifties about, like the wonders of radiation, and like, <laughs> why don't you put this uh, radium on your face as a as a? Whoa, 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 whoa. You'll be glowing, yeah. <laughs> like you'll be dead at thirty-five. Um, so I'm like, what is that today? And yeah, maybe it's the, the little computers we're sticking to our faces, to our brain holes. Could, Could be. be, yeah. We're just in the middle of everything. Yeah. Well, I was afraid of Bluetooth for a long time. Turns out that's just radio waves. So like Bluetooth is, a, I think, a good alternative. Hopefully. Who knows? I just hate Bluetooth because it's so unreliable in my experience. Yeah. I hear you, man. The more we gain, the more we lose, sir. Um, yeah. It's a great technology. I think it's just not it's not perfected yet. Well, that's, that's definitely something we'll people, hopefully if we have a society in 50 years, we'll look back on 2018, 2019 being like, man, they were driving themselves around. Like they were using slave labor. They were the plastic and everything, mm-hmm. plastic, plastic and everything that, that we're like, yeah, we trust the government to just fucking save us from ourselves. I, I don't know, man. I mean, we looked at industrial waste a hundred years ago like that. And, and the plastic could be this way, but um, yeah, like you were saying uh, the, the technology um, we're, we're in the infancy of. So. Yeah. And we've released since 1950, we've released something like 75,000 industrial chemicals into our biosphere, uh, man-made chemicals since that. Yeah. So, I mean, that those are all untested. You know what I mean? Those have been in play for 70 years. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? And you know, people are like, "Oh, autism! It's the vaccines." Well, probably this other stuff going on. I don't know. Yeah, I, we may have talked about the the anti vaxxers and that's yeah, it's a a crazy thing. I think if your baby has, if you if you're afraid of immunodeficiency or, or some adverse immune reaction, which could happen in like one out of a hundred cases, you should just like vaccinate every few weeks on end. Anyway, going <laughs> that that you didn't really care care to go on with the vaccine thing, but anyway, <laughs> ah, technology, yeah, ah. um, and the pollution, yeah, it sounds pretty bad. I was talking with a friend about if we stopped everything right now, the planet would still get worse with the global warming and and the extremes and the the natural disasters. Even if we just stopped right now, that would happen. Um, and so we're going to continue and people, and, and like a lot of this country and a lot of the world just is continuing to pollute. It's like, man, things are going to get bad. And, and I was talking and we figured out that like, I don't think that the planet will become completely uninhabitable, but like there will probably be a massive die off. There's already been die off from natural disasters, but maybe even more. Um, I'm not sure if humans are done on this planet, but. I could be wrong, man. This could be dug up in a time capsule 5,000 years from now from aliens. I think you've mentioned that scenario before. So this is a great segue into telling you that I watched two movies over the last couple of days. One was Annihilation on your, per your uh, request. Two, I watched Arrival for the third time. And I think it was better than the first two times I watched it. It's amazing. It's just amazing. I love that movie. It's so great. <laughs> Uh, we ha- it's so funny how this pod will re- essentially revolve around like 10 movies, 20 different bands. <laughs> it's like pretty ridiculous. Um, so you saw Arrival again. Awesome. What'd you think of Annihilation? So 
I, I didn't, hadn't really heard much about Annihilation. I didn't really know too much about it. That could be a one-word review, by the way. So, so <laughs> I, I already I get perfect. Answer. It's like I, Go ahead. I understand what they were trying to do. I think some of the choices that they made in the making of the movie made it less believable. I think that um, the lead older lady who was leading it, I think I don't think she was a good actress. I just don't think her character was well created by her. She's just like very downtrodden like this and always never gets too upset about anything. It was the whole time. <laughs> That's a great Jennifer Jason Lee impression. Continue. Is that who it was, that the older lady who had cancer? Yeah, yeah. She was one she she was a young movie star and then didn't do anything for a while and, and she's in this T V show with uh uh Michael Rappaport. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I don't think she was great. I think in the very beginning, I didn't think Natalie Portman was doing good, but then I think that throughout the movie, she kind of figured it out a little bit more. Um, I thought it was a cool story. Uh, there was, it, it could have been cleaned up a little bit. I feel like the props could have been a little bit more, uh, less, I feel like the, the, crazy colorfulness which was kind of the whole point of it of it being like a prism i feel like that made it look a little like not tacky but just artificial in the props like the flowers mm-hmm. um yeah, but yeah. I, thought, I thought it had cool ideas i just thought the execution was was a little bumbly um so that was, yeah that, that's pretty much pretty much my uh my wrap-up of it right well that's a that's a good review i think in that review you're revealing that that you think it's a pretty big undertaking to like make that into a movie yes yes so it's like i'll give you liberties on that but yes. so Ugh. the big the weird the like big the weird like creature at the end the chrome creature and he just like burns and then just keeps burning and then everything's just burning it's like oh he's pretty flammable mm-hmm. yeah totally <clears throat> um i may have mentioned this in relation to annihilation the movie um, I think some some pieces of entertainment are more interesting and fun to talk about and think about afterwards than they are yep. to actually watch in the moment. Annihilation might be one because I read about it after my first or second viewing, and it it taught me a lot about what I what I didn't see, which was really cool, and it made, like blew my I was like oh my god this makes so much more sense. Um, I think that some stuff is might maybe explained in the book a little bit more. Um, I tell people all the time, books are easier than movies. And it's because you have an unlimited amount of pages to write whatever the heck you want about the scene and the dialogue. And a movie, you kind of have to show somebody in like two hours. And so it's a lot different. Um, It's just the amount of content you can put in there. So they talk about self-destruction throughout the movie Annihilation, but this um, article I was reading was about how that's the central theme of the book and and um, and of the movie about how it's all about self-destruction. And I don't know if the article talked about this, but I saw the Shimmer, the alien um, entity that comes, that lands on Earth in the movie. I saw that as well, at the beginning, Jennifer Jason Lee says like it could be like it's a might be a religious event, a spiritual event, uh, an alien, an extraterrestrial event. But she said religious, and that like clicked in my mind 
where this could be seen as like a new Garden of Eden starting. Like we are viruses that have infected this planet um, to, to borrow the term from the matrix, you know, and this alien entity has come to essentially save this planet. <laughs> Think about it that way. Like humans are fucking super destructive. We just got done talking about how we're destroying this earth. This alien thing that comes down um, doesn't have self-destruction like humans do. And, and the, I think that Natalie Portman introduces self-destruction to that entity um, because that's because she hands the grenade to the, that chrome um, thing and that thing lights on fire and then it sets the it like intent you see it intentionally setting other things on fire like the lighthouse mm-hmm. and that weird tunnel it came out of so like natalie portman kind of taught it self-destruction which each of the four characters had whether they were like an addict or they had cancer um and so it was about how our human biology has self-destruction programmed into it and they mentioned that like throughout the movie but this alien life form does not this alien life form like assimilates right and takes over, but is incredibly beautiful. And I loved when the physicist um, died. She like chose. She was like, "You can either fight it. Like one of you's trying to fight it. One of you's trying to face it. Like I'm not trying to do any of that." And she like becomes part of the scenery, which was mm-hmm. dope. She yeah, when she turned into the flower thing. Yeah, so I thought that was a very Zen Buddhist. Like that was a very like natural. I'm going to accept this thing. Um, at the end, Natalie Portman says, like, I don't think it was trying to do anything. It wasn't, might not have been wanting to destroy or wanting at all. But I don't know, man. I think that alien life form was, was superior to ours in how it, in how it um, takes over things. We take over things in kind of a self-destructive way. Um, that's how we're programmed. Um, socially and biologically, it kind of parallels each other. Um, anyway at the end of the movie, Natalie Portman and her weird clone husband um, kind of are infected with this weird alien DNA because her eyes shimmer, right? So anyway, I think it's a cool movie to analyze and think about afterwards, but I think it was hard to pull that concept off. And I, yeah, I, I would, I thought it was pretty cool. I liked watching it again. Yeah. One thing that they never really explained was when they cut the guy's stomach open and there were like the crazy like worms like fucking spinning around. They never really explained that. I guess it was just a mutation. Yeah, it's just a mutation. That's the th- it's hard to I bet it was in the book maybe that I bet this writer was excellent. You know, I bet this book is badass because mm-hmm. to be able to describe mutations um is probably hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think it's hard to pull off on on camera. So. Yeah, like that was one of the that was one of the craziest parts of the movie when he like he puts his hand inside and it's just like wiggling around. Dude, when he put his hand inside, dude, I was like, oh my god! And then they just never go back to it, and that's it. And yeah, I'm just like, his, oh, please. Yeah, his intestines turned into a snake essentially. Like, yeah, that was that was really interesting. Parts of it, like it was almost like radiation. Um, you know how like radiation poisoning can can change the way your cells act. Um, and well, also I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts. We share like 90% of our DNA with a banana or something weird like that. <laughs> talking about my 23 and me. So like maybe it's gene activation because we've talked about gene activation and epigenetics and how you have this gene code and you could turn on or turn off certain genes based on your environment mm-hmm. and external factors. So like radiation could do that. 
and fuck with your cells on a cellular level and fuck the, the reproduction, you know, the division of cells would be affected. Um, maybe that's what this alien life form spreads like, but yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting movie. I, not as good as Arrival for sure. Yeah. W- one thing that I didn't really pay attention to as much in Arrival the first two times around was just, which is stupid because it's essential story, but her story with um, her like daughter, her, her daughter like dying of that rare disease and they just like reveal it slowly throughout the course of the movie and it's very circular. Um, I guess it didn't really click in my head, just that part I was more focused on just the aliens the first couple times through. And then yeah. once you sit back and you see her whole story and how at the end, even though she knows that her daughter is going to die of this rare disease, it's going to be super painful, she still makes the decision to do it and experience it all, which is a crazy lesson. She still decides to do it all, yeah. And that's why people who are in terrible pain and have terminal illnesses don't kill themselves. Like the the struggle, the desire for life, the, the desire to experience things <clears throat> overcomes apparently the pain that comes with it. And that's like a great life lesson. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and I I think you you made me think of something about how I like to watch movies. The first time I watch a movie, it's kind of like how you described it. Um where in my head, I just want to be washed over by this movie. I just want to eat some popcorn and, and enjoy this movie, like immerse myself and, and pretend like it's real. And mm-hmm. um, if it's a bad movie, it'll take, I'll get taken out of it. But re- if it's a really good movie, I'll stay until the end and I'm just blown away. But then I would like to, if I like it that much, I know I'm going to go back for a second viewing. And that's the time where I, think about those things you talked about, like the daughter subplot and the circular, you know, get, getting more into that and trying to pick apart that kind of stuff. So it's a fun way to look at movies. I mean, there's so many ways you can view movies, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Rival is just great. Yeah. Um, there's this, this reminds me of the scene in Waking Life, which we probably talked about on the pod, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. There's one scene in Waking Life where it's these two men at a cafe talking about the process of making movies. And they were saying that like, you're capturing God, like you're capturing reality in this frame. And what is reality? And it's like, almost like the, the mind of God looking at the world. You see like the sorrow and the beauty and the laughter and the, the anger, you know? Um, and this, this dude's like, and he calls it a holy moment. He says like film captures holy moments which are like just these slices of regular life. But when you put a lens around it, it's like, look at how beautiful this is. And so suddenly going to pick out flowers or, or, or going you know, to a meeting becomes this like thing that's worthy of art and worthy of like so much more. Um, and they talk about how we, they wish they could have a holy moment in real life and not just watch movies and appreciate them, but have real life be like that, have holy moments in real life. And one of the dudes starts crying and it's like this amazing moment where these two men are like having this intimate conversation and they connect on this spiritual level. And one dude starts crying because he's like overwhelmed because they, they, they pause and have a holy moment between each other. And I'm the kind of person who cries all the time, which I probably talked about on the podcast. I'm very emotional, but that scene always got to me about how, art imitates life and, and movies are life and, and movies are capturing what God sees or, or if you believe in that or it captures reality in that way. So very cool. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, also, I heard, I either read this or heard this. It was this like real Hollywood story. I think it was John Krasinski, the guy from The Office. Yeah. Jack Ryan, I think. Anyway, yep. was in A Quiet Place and directed that. Um, he was at this like big shot Hollywood party and he was talking with Paul Thomas Anderson, I believe. And PTA and Krasinski are having this conversation about this new movie. And Krasinski was like, dude, I thought it was really terrible. <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was good. Um, <clears throat> which is unfortunate. And Paul Thomas Anderson said, you know what, man, you shouldn't trash movies and call them bad because the more that gets around, um, the more it's going to discourage studios from taking chances on things. And what you should say is like, that wasn't for me. And that person really took a lot of chances um, or something like that. But the director, Paul Thomas Anderson's point was saying like, don't, don't trash people for, for doing something different. Even if it sucks, <laughs> even if we all know it sucks, try to toe the line because it's going to be good for, for the rest of us artists. I, I thought that was an interesting insight because obviously I'll openly trash movies left and right. Yeah. I guess it's like, at least you're, it's better than not making a movie at all. Some movie better than no movie, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> You, you want as many voices getting out there as possible. Um, have you, did you see the documentary Exit Through the Gift Shop? Um, I have not seen it, but I did see it that it was on Netflix. Oh, big time recommend. Best documentary I've ever seen, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Other than Meru. Meru is another great one. Um, I don't know that. About dudes climbing this mountain that's really treacherous. But... Um, Anyway, Exit Through the Gift Shop's awesome because it's about Banksy. And, oh, yeah, yeah. The artist. And, yeah. And, and it's also about this other dude who's like a complete hack and tries to be like a hack of Banksy. He's, he was a fan who tried to like just become him. And at the end, Banksy's like, you know, I, uh, I used to say that everybody should, do, should, should make art. And, he, and then he pauses. He's like, not so sure about that anymore because <laughs> this guy was like so bad. And yeah. people, people thought it was good. Like people had a hard time distinguishing what was bullshit and what was good because mass consumption in this country can, can get a lot of idiots to, you know, hop on. Yeah. I mean, and that goes with all art forms. There's so much of every single genre of every single style of everything that who knows, like I hear a song on the radio and it's engineered to sound good. So like, does it sound good or is it just the illusion of sounding good? Just like a copy of another copy of a copy that sounded good. I don't know. Well, I definitely hear songs where I'm like, I know this song sounds like such another song that I know. And I, I think of a line of that song. I Google that line. I get the other song. I play them side by side. And I'm like, this is the same fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like we used to make fun of, what was it, Creed? Or Nickelback. Yeah. Was it Nickelback that would make like a whole album that sounded the same? Um, yeah, definitely Nickelback. Yeah, good old Nickelback. My brother-in-law likes Fallout Boy. I, we t- I think we talked about that before, but Fallout Boy is, I think, kind of silly. Yeah, I liked them when I was... I, I found out about them when I was like 16 or 17, and I was like, this is the band, man. And I love Fallout Boy for like Probably like six or seven years. 
<laughs> Wait, what, what? How old were you when you got into them? Like sixteen or seventeen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's understandable. It is such a teenager, a white boy. It's such a white boy. It's like good, I guess. Like I don't. It was never my thing. It's like well made. I guess it's well. It's, but it's so like. Exactly what it is. So like you, you are so like the, the redheaded stepchild of Green Day. Not even. It's like the least common denominator. <laughs> but uh, yes, the least. It is the least common. It's like watered down Green Day because they were raw. But I'm sure, if, like it's whatever. I mean, it's it's just so. Vanilla white boy music. It's just, better than no music, I guess. I guess it is better than no music. Did we talk about Captain Beefheart? Um, I think so. Um, so that's similar to Naked City, but it's like it sounds like every every um note is played incorrectly. <laughs> like it is so discordant. You could not You could not play more fucked up Like it's so weird okay. He took a lot of chances It's not for me though Yeah I don't know if you've ever yeah, Heard Captain Beefheart But check out Trout Mask Replica The album But also this Vox uh, series on YouTube Vox ta- This chick talks all about music And she has hilarious things about hip hop And but she has this thing about Trout Mask Re- Replica, the Captain Beefheart album. Um, but there's like apparently like eight different time signatures going on at once in that one song. That's pretty so. crazy. <laughs> and then don't even yeah, know what that means. <laughs> he was he was Frank Zappa's uh, high school roommate or high school friend, which makes oh uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's all coming into focus. It all comes together. Yep, good old music. My friend um, asked me to go to an RJD2 concert um, a couple weeks ago, or yeah, a couple days ago actually. Actually, one night ago it was last night. RJD2 <laughs> was playing around. <laughs> actually, eight minutes ago. <laughs> it's actually not even happening next week. Uh, yes, eight minutes ago. Um, and so he was like, "Dude, tickets are twenty-five bucks. It's at the Ogden Theater, which is literally two blocks from my place, which is amazing." And I had seen RJD2 literally three years ago when I first moved to Denver, literally at the same Ogden Theater. I was living up at 21st Street. Now I'm at 16th Street. I'm over here now. Hey. Uh, now I'm two blocks away. Uh, but honestly, I saw him three years ago um, with some folks. And we all agreed after the concert, like, man, we loved RJD2 in high school but he's kind of still doing that stuff. He doesn't loop any of his music. He doesn't just press play. Like he's hustling. He's sweating it out and like hand producing all of the sounds and like all the music like there. He's making the beats from scratch live. So Mm -hmm. it's a very bizarre experience. I'm not used to seeing a DJ like sweat that much and work that much. Yeah. We're kind of old and tired and it wasn't breakbeat-y and it didn't have the sawtooth wave I love the sawtooth wave, um, <laughs> but I'm. Uh, let's see if I can. Let's see if I can get a sawtooth wave example. Is that like a? Oh. <laughs> 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 
obsessed with the sawtooth wave, but there it is for you, sir. Um, <laughs> but it was just a little bit of an old style, and I wasn't down with it. But it was it was a lot of fun. Like he's he's an amazing performer, and the the place was packed. It was an awesome party. Denver's a good venue, or Denver's a good music city. Anyway, I got to ask my buddy how the the show was because I'm sure it was fun. I've just I gotta spend my money more wisely these days. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean it's always fun going out and seeing live music. Uh, I I never really like crave it anymore like I used to in like my mid twenties, my early twenties. I would like crave it like going to Humphreys, bro. Like let's go. And now I'm just like I will sit at home and listen to it. But uh, yeah. It's but whenever I do go out and see music, it's always a good time. Even if I don't really like the music, it's still still better than nothing. It's funny how your preferences change as you as you go through different stages in life and you shouldn't cling to what you liked five years ago just because you liked it. Like you shouldn't think that that's a part of, you know, um, so it's cool to try different things. And, and, but some people do the same thing their whole lives and that's also cool. But I feel like my interests have changed and evolved. And, and yeah, I don't, I, I, I used to just be like, I need to hear that live guitar or that live drum. And if I don't hear that and feel that energy, yeah, like I'm missing out on something. Yeah. yeah. I've experienced more things since then. Good yes, time. Now I go to now I go to Broadway musicals. Oh, excellent. Yeah, um, I went to a Bronx Tale, the the musical. Oh. Hey, how you doing? I'm just <laughs> the guinea on the corner. That's like what it was <laughs> it was so fucking great. Um yeah, can I go into my Bronx Tale rant? <laughs> sure. This is good. Decent pod. So my my uncle Tommy went, he grew up, my whole family grew up in the Bronx, and they're all Italian-American. And in 1972, The Godfather came out, and, and like Dean Martin and Al Miola, like Italian-American culture in the late 60s, like finally became mainstream, which was really cool, because when it my grandfather first came to this country in the twenties. He was non-white. So Italians like Anglo, they, they held some of their culture, but they became Anglo-Saxon enough to become white, you know? So anyway, at, in the sixties, it was still this like kind of exotic, Ooh, he's a, he's Italian. Ooh. <laughs> um, hey. but, uh, anyway, my uncle Tommy grew up in the Bronx uh, with Chaz Palminteri who played the the role of Sonny, the gangster in A Bronx Tale. Ooh. And Chaz Palminteri was in a lot of things. Um, I'll get a picture up for you. But he's like just a typical Italian-American looking Oh, yeah, this guy. Yeah. So um, Faceless gangster. Yeah, I'm a gangster. Right. And so he's like, let me tell you something. So he wrote this, he wrote this story um, when he was super poor. He wrote a one-man show, Chaz Palminteri, in like the 70s. And this was when Rocky Balboa just just sold his script. I mean, uh, Sylvester Stallone just sold his Rocky script. Mm -hmm. And like the new thing was like getting these these young men who had these like from the streets stories. Um, So he had this one man show and he played 18 different roles by himself. Um, And he's a good actor. Um, but this is also his life story, so he must know these characters well. Anyway, uh, De Niro ends up going to a show and discovers him. And De Niro meets with Palminteri and says, listen, I'll play the other role uh, opposite you. You get to play the role you want to play. 
I'll make sure that I'll keep the heat off of you so you can sell this script and we can get this made. And it's a really good movie. Um, but the play was, the musical was, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Meshuggah, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm using that right. <laughs> when in Rome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was using that right. It wasn't Meshuggah. <laughs> Nonsense, silliness, crazy, garbage, isn't useless. I love. Dude, I love how I can speak Yiddish. You know what I mean? Crazy language. Half Hebrew, half German, I believe. Yep, that's right. Um, and I even... I, and we'll never be able to say it again, but, but because it's very racist, but the, the, the Hebes, the Jewish folks used to say Schwatzes. They used to call the, the black people Schwatzes. Yep. And it's really... Ra- I mean... Schwartz means black, so like we call them black now. So is it really that racist? But they were, they were being a little, a little condescending with it. Yeah, tone is a lot of it. Still a great. It's tone is a lot of it, and also how it's received by that by that group and by the rest of society. So yeah, that's why texting is tough. Causes so many problems because there's no tone. Just texting word. is tough, man. I do Slack for work. Tick, 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 tick. I'm always on the keyboard with Slack and I'm constantly being like, that was a joke or like not, you don't have to do that though. Like I'm not, I'm not forcing you. Like, I'm yeah, just, it's very strange. Uh, yeah. Key and Peel had a funny skit about that of two guys texting and totally miscommunicating. <laughs> like, they have like, some great what, like, what are you up to, bro? And he's like, nothing. What are you up to? He's like, nothing. What are you up to? <laughs> he's like, what do you want to do? You want to take this outside? Do you want to take this outside? <laughs> like, one dude like shows up to the bar ready to fight. And the other like, hey, how's it going? First drinks on me. Have you ever seen their skit where um, one of them is standing out on the street, like wearing a hat, and the other one comes out wearing like a nicer hat? He's like, it goes like in slow motion and he walks out and the, and the other guy's like looking at his hat and then the next, he comes, the other guy comes back and he's wearing like a fucking like hat with like 10 stickers on it, like tags hanging off the side. And they just keep going through like having crazier hats. Yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's called Dueling Hats. <laughs> yeah. And they're, um, yeah, they, they're, they're, the way they talked about race and their own race um, and just like race issues in America were so cool. Like, um, and, and also the way that it's shot, you could tell that, um, what's his name? I think it's Jordan Peele, um, mm-hmm. knows how to, knows how to direct or, or move the camera around. Cause he, he made get out after all the years doing key and Peele. Yeah. It was amazing. Get out. <clears throat> yep. I'm, I'm about getting ready to watch that again. The old yeah, get out. <laughs> the Key and Peel sketch with the hats. He comes out with the, the hat on and it's still in the bag. <laughs> yeah. The other and guy I... had the stickers on and the <laughs> on. just has it still in the bag that it came in. And then he comes out and it's in like the big glass case. <laughs> I'm pretty, and they get in real close for the, the hug. But I think it culminates in this making the hat. lady throwing the hat on top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good old, good old Key and Peel. Um, 
so uh, I have a, I had a, a good business idea that I'm essentially lifting off of an event even I went to. Okay. So we may have talked about this on the pod, but um, we like to go to a museum every now and then. We're members to the Denver Art Museum. And um, they had this event where you could put on headphones in one of the exhibits and you could put on one of three channels. And on each of the channels is a very funny person who lives in Denver, like local funny people that we actually know from this live theater we go to. Um, and these three funny people walk around the exhibit and fucking joke around about the exhibits that you're looking at. And it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's so entertaining. And you can easily spend like an hour in an, if you listen to all three of them twice, um, which, which you might do, you can spend like an hour in, in some random exhibit. And it was so funny. They had to, they had to recall it from memory. So they like, I think wrote down notes as they walked through the exhibit and then later recorded themselves giving a tour. And it was so funny, but imagine every museum in the world, you go to the Met, you go to the Louvre. Oh, would you, would you like, um, would you like Amy Schumer? Uh, would you like Ellen DeGeneres or Seinfeld? Fucking narrating, or just get like local comedians, like hey, so it's like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, but for the art museum. Yes, not an amazing idea. Yeah, I like it. Just like heckling, trolling. Yeah, and you just have somebody in your ear fucking chatting it up, and they're funny, and ah man, it sounds like a winning idea. There are funny people in every city in the world. There are, like, you can promote local comedians. I feel like I should, I should be calling museums being, and being like, can I talk to your, your events? And like, like the person in charge of growth, business growth, marketing, you know? Mm-hmm. Fucking genius. Yeah, I like it. It's a good move. Comedy. Add comedy hey, in. It was just the Bronx tale, and I'm a <laughs> guinea in the Bronx now. Hey. <laughs> So would you like the comedy tour or the sex tour or the sex comedy tour? <laughs> the sexual comedy tour. <clears throat> Even I snuck in uh, our 14, my 14 year old cousin into a comedy show. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, Are you two people standing on top of each other? All right. You're good. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie McFarland, who's very funny. One of the comedians at night, she was, she walked in right behind us when we were checking in. And her, she was with her like 10 year old daughter. And she was like, listen, my daughter is just going to come in. <laughs> and um, we thought that was hilarious. But yeah, my 14 year old cousin looks pretty old. And it was an 18 and older show. They didn't card. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, but um, Eva was like, yeah, he definitely felt super adult that day. Yeah. Because we went to the Met Museum. I taught him. I have seen too much. Well, yeah, and he got to watch some comedians, real adult comedians. Yeah, that, that makes me think. Um, I remember you told me about the first time that you heard uh, Eminem, and you got like a bootleg of his CD when you were in school, and you said you felt like you were listening to like adult music. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. always remember you saying that. Yeah, when I first listened to Rage Against the Machine, I, I remember thinking like, can they fucking say this? Like, are they going to be put in jail for this? Because it'd be like, now, like, you know, just whoever, the what, the land of the free? Whoever told you that is your enemy. <laughs> like, 
Are they going to be like put in jail for this? This is crazy. So. Yeah, freedom of speech. It's working out pretty good. In our country. Give it to me. Teach things like that. Yeah, still. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I mentioned this storytelling theater. Um, that's where these funny people that did the museum exhibit headphones came about. Um, Eva and I, uh, the third Wednesday of every month, we try to go to this, when we're in town, we go to this storytelling thing. It's called the Narrators. And I think every city in America should have this. Um, it's essentially pe- usually like local writers and comedians, um, but just random people who live in the area come up and tell real stories about their life from their life around a central theme. So last week it was habit or habits that we saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. It was amazing. Yeah, we all have habits. We all have yeah, and so everyone had different. Somebody had a story about the, this weird, sad, and also kind of funny story about this woman's parents who were gambling addicts. She was like crying and um, oh, crazy, because I'd never, I'd never heard a story about gambling addiction, which is weird. Mm-hmm. So being able to hear that was like amazing. I heard a story about uh, a whole family who whose all the kids had OCD, and I might have talked about OCD and Tourette's, which I had growing up. But um, that was a crazy story. And then just people talking about other kinds of, like, just random, like, it had not, the story itself didn't have much to do with habits, but it was tied to a habit they had. Anyway, it was, it was really cool. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear, to hear people's perspectives that you've never encountered before. It'd be crazy to be, like, a psychologist and just take in all the people who are finally coming out to talk about their problems to somebody. Okay, yeah, it was really like group therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Here's a, another idea for when when you want, if you ever want a second tent for Threestable or you want a second stage, or if you don't want music to be going on all the time at the main stage, fucking put together a narrators like that. Find people like, I don't know, if you want to kill an hour and not and like have people entertained, but not necessarily with music. Well, it's funny that you say that because we actually just signed on a guy to MC the whole thing who is a magician. His name is Magic Mike. Not to be confused with the stripper. It's M-A-J-I-K. Magic. Yes. Magic (laughs) Mike. He's like a dude in his 50s. He's been doing it for 30 years. Um, He comes to all like the festivals and he's the man. So That's hilarious. Yeah, he'll be a good MC. He'll be doing magic in between bands and stuff like that. Oh, that's a, that's a great, great get. I love that. Yeah, he actually approached us and was like, hey, I would love to MC your event. Like, please let me do it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Dude, cool. you guys have, you guys are dripping with street cred. Yeah, I mean, we're, our attendance is probably around like 500 is like our average at this point. But I mean, that's a good, that's a good spot to be at. Cause once you get up in the thousands, you're, you're, you're playing with fire when you get that many people together. Something's Ooh. about to go wrong. You know, you're playing with F Y R E fire. Yeah, playing with Ja Rule's fire. It's, 20, it's 2019. So that's going to be like, this will be a nice time capsule. We're talking about the gut. We were talking about the government, um, which by the way, government shutdown day, whatever. And the fire, two fire festival documentaries are out. So um, I haven't seen them, but I heard good things. So total, total federal government's working zero, uh, total fire documentaries too. 
<laughs> they're doing good. That's the state of affairs in 2019. We, our streaming services are fucking bananas, but yeah, our government yeah. is like not happening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of streaming, uh, the, we actually have a new streaming service on Twitch. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's yeah, like the new, the new it, up and coming. It. Yeah, yeah. There's like hundreds of thousands of people on there. So we have a three stable TV uh, Twitch channel where uh, we do a lot of uh, time lapse acoustic shows, broadcast our shows and stuff like that. And then we'll broadcast uh, the festival on there. So that'll be cool. That Twitch is the most recent place I saw you do minarets. So that's where I saw you do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hopped on there for a minute. Well, like after after you recorded it, I hopped on and checked it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool that it, it leaves it up. Uh, I think for two weeks it leaves the videos up, maybe longer. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Twitch. 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 I feel like you got to go falsetto on that. And Twitch. So what if every week we have like a business idea kind of round table? I had my museum exhibit one. Yeah, I like that one. I've told you about edible endangered, right? Or I'm sorry, rare. It's been rebranded as rare. Have I told you about this? Mm, are you putting diseases in food? No, no. I'm essentially charging large sums of money for to for people to to kill and have me prepare um, endangered species for them. <laughs> okay. Then we operate in South America. Um. We operate all over the world, sir. We do private parties. We kind of host private parties, pop-up restaurants. Like for the super rich? Um, gorilla. We're kind of a gorilla upscale um, experience, dining experience, sir. We, we cater to uh, the super rich, the global, uh, the global one, one fuck percent. That's what they like to call themselves. Um, they're so rich they fuck the one percent. That's how rich they are. But, so, um, so this leads me leads me to my next question. Do you think that once we start cloning extinct animals, how long between the first time that we clone an extinct animal to the first time that we've cloned so many that we can start eating them? Um, they're like the first time we clone them so we can fuck them. Yeah, porn <laughs> about that shortly after. <laughs> Well, I think we're moving, but the thing is we're moving away from uh, livestock, mm -hmm. like the, the word live part of livestock. We're moving away from, you know, we're, we're going to be going to lab grown meat. Um, I asked my 14 year old cousin what he thinks in 200 years, people will look back on and say was very unethical that we did. Um, we talked about sweatshops and slave labor, but he, the first thing he mentioned was meat. He was like, we'll be all be eating lab grown meat in a hundred years and it will look barbaric in that in 2019 we were like destroying the amazon rainforest to put to like raise cows like and raising millions of cows like shoved together and veal like i don't eat veal anymore because there's no ethical way to make veal apparently you have to build these cages and you force them not to move and you overfeed yeah. them um but anyway you're raising millions of things just to get murdered there's no like natural life cycle going on. There's no like out in nature, you know, not line caught fish and not free range and not hunted. So anyway, um, not wild game. So I think we're going to move away from that. I think we yeah. would introduce, maybe we would introduce them into like, not like maybe in a hundred years, we'll only be doing like wild game, you know, 
Yeah. So then there will be, if, if we're not raising these cows and pigs to eat, then there will be no cows and pigs because they're not like a natural species anymore. It's just completely for well, our. Yeah. The, I think the cows would be fucked, but pigs turn into feral pigs. And like Texas is a huge feral pig problem. There's... Yeah. You know, those piggies. But like the, the pigs that you see, like big hairless pink pigs like that's not a wild pig you know what i mean like that's so far from like the wild pigs with like the hair and the tusks that you see fucking crazy so yeah you can go on youtube and you can look at videos of tad nugent in a helicopter like woo doggy (laughs) (laughs) like look at these look at these fucking maniacs (laughs) just hunt like it's those cows don't stand a chance man like that is this is like watching Full Metal Jacket, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, these are so apparently the pigs grow tusks and the ones they escape. Do you know about that? What What'd you say? I was I was, I was reading his name, Smotherman. <laughs> uh, Smotherman, and it's called oh, Apor- Apocalypse 2013. <laughs> the video <laughs> we're watching. That sounds like a let's call it. What it sounds like a fat porn. Apocalypse. Yeah, just a, but this this is a pork cow. A pork lips cow. <laughs> Good one, sir. Double entendre pun. We got it. Sportsman Channel. Anyway, um, pigs when they're raised in a farm are all pink bellied, or maybe they're hairy and shit, but they're friendly. And then they, you know, they break out and they grow tusks only when they break out of the farm. Really? Yeah, they can go their whole lives without it. And then they grow tusks if they become wild and feral. As Maybe like, people are like that too. We grow fucking huge claws and shit. Nobody will never know. Nah, there have been like wolf. Have you, you, there have been like wolf people or whatever. <laughs> Bro, type in. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Keanu Reeves in Wolf Boy. That's not what I was wolf looking boy. for on YouTube. But no, there's like in sociology class, we learned about, about this kid who was like discovered who was like raised in in the in the woods just feral yeah so but they're like it's like that movie whoa what the fuck um it's like that movie nell what in the hell do you remember nell with jodie foster Mm. i remember contact (laughs) this is a video called (laughs) shit nell says she made up her own language. Oh, chickpea, chickpea. I'm offended. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I went heavy on the chickpeas. No, she made up. <laughs> Jody Foster. Yeah, they don't make movies like they made in the 90s anymore. No HD. Mm-hmm. You ever see a movie come on, you put it on your like HD TV and it just it looks like all fuzzy and like this is just how we saw things. It's insane, man. I if we brought somebody from the twenties into today, they're they'd be like, What the fuck? Yeah, their heads would explode. Mm-hmm. Uh there was a news item last week where this dude looking up uh, doing a a book about Woody Guthrie found these old notes from Woody Guthrie where he was a he was a tenant of Trump's dad in Brooklyn and Trump's dad was like a famous racist landlord. And the, Woody Guthrie wrote a song about Trump's dad being like a racist landlord. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. 
So Aaron, Woody Guthrie was a famous political activist. He's the one who had the um, This Machine Kills Fascists sticker on his uh, guitar. Did you know that? Oh, nice. That's a cool sticker. Yeah. Yeah, have you ever, have you ever seen that? Oh, let's see. He's famous for having that. That's cool. Have you heard about this Baron Trump time traveling conspiracy? <laughs> no, but I am here for it. Oh, wow. It's actually extremely uh, intricate and crazy. So, like, I'm going to get this wrong, but there was an author who in, like, 1890-something wrote this book about a young boy named Baron Trump who time travels um, to the future. And like all this stuff happens that corresponds with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely look this up because it's super crazy. Dude, it's gonna take me. It's gonna take me to these fucking buggy pop upy websites. Oh uh, yeah. If you've ever like looked into, I go on Breitbart sometimes to see what what spin their end propaganda they're trying to pull, and I, I go on like right wing weird stuff and and these like unsourced um, ad filled websites and. That's just all it is, man. It's these really weird websites from Russia. <laughs> from Russia. Yeah. Okay, so Baron Trump's a time traveler. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, just the, and the, like, the synchronicities between what the guy said in the book and like even people's names. Um, like Pence was in there as like one of like this, the, the right hand man of like the main guy. It's like crazy, crazy stuff. You'd have to look into it because I only read it once, so I didn't really retain too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at the end of Waking Life, <laughs> a movie we may have talked about, um, the, one of the, la- the last conversation is talking about this Philip K. Dick essay that Philip K. Dick wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip K. Dick did a scanner darkly and, and um, uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner. Uh, anyway, uh, Philip K. Dick wrote this essay um, because he was very spooked after he wrote um uh slow my tears or flow my tears the policeman said he wrote this book like essentially in a blackout state and he wrote it in like a number of hours like overnight and he doesn't remember writing it and he won a bunch of awards for it and he was at this gala event and this dude came up to him and was like started talking to him and then he realized that like everything that was happening to him um was happened in the book that he wrote like months earlier so he starts freaking out and he um, he gets in his car and he drives home and he this man is on the side of the road who needs gas and needs help and he ends up stopping and helping him and he as he's helping this man he realizes that this is also in his book um, and then he goes to his priest uh, at the church and explains what's going on this crisis he's having and this priest is like you should go read the book of Acts because all of what you're describing happens in the book of Acts <laughs> and um, so Philip Gennick's freaking out. And he wrote this essay saying that I believe that time is a veil and there is no such thing as time. And he believed that it was the year like like 50 AD or something. And like the Lord had waited to come, like the devil had tricked everyone. And that's why these names and these situations kept recurring. Um, so he thought that it was 50 AD. But in Waking Life, there was like, there is no time. Like we are, you are, when you see something like that, you are piercing through um, the concept of time into this eternal pattern that the universe follows, um, and time just just reflects that pattern with variety. Um, anyway, so all is one. 
and Baron Trump is a time traveler. <laughs> yeah, pretty wild story though about Philip K. Dick. Yeah, yeah. Also, but then I was telling this to my friend, my friend Janice. She's so fucking funny. She's like, yeah, but Philip K. Dick was also like a raging meth addict and would go like days without sleep and did like tons of cocaine and alcohol and was just like an insane person who like cannot be trusted. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. Well, this sat like, and she was like, and what you're describing is 100% what a meth addict would think was going on. Like, what? That's the same as the book of X. And that's the same that was happening in my book. And that, like, that sounds like meth addict behavior. So that's <laughs> hilarious. Pepe so Sylvia. We, so <laughs> it was a total Pepe Sylvia moment. But I love my, Janice is perfect for that, to, to, bring, to bring the other, other perspective in the room. Right, sir. You always need the other perspective. That's true. My brain exploded the first time that I found out that Pepe Silvia is Pennsylvania. That's why it said it on every single yes. letter. That's why it said. That's why it said it on every single letter. <laughs> this company is being bled like a stuck pig, man. Always sunny, great show. Check this out. <laughs> Take a look at this. Jesus Christ, that right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, man? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Pepe Sylvia, this right, name keeps coming up. Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. Why do I keep keeping Pepe Sylvia? Pepe Sylvia, I look at the mail. Well, this whole box is Pepe Sylvia. So I say to myself, I gotta find this guy. I gotta go up to his office. I gotta put his mail in the guy's goddamn hands. Otherwise, he's never gonna get it. He's gonna keep coming back down here. So I go up to Pepe's office, and what do I find out, man? What do I find out? There is no Pepe Sylvia. The man does not exist, okay? So I decided, oh, shit, buddy. <laughs> there is no Carol. Uh, Carol! It's one of the best monologues like I've ever seen on TV. It's perfect. Yeah, the show is brilliant. I think as soon as we get off this pod, I'm going to watch that scene. Yeah, it's, it's a great scene. Good. There is no Carol. Yeah, it's just Pennsylvania, Pepe Sylvia. So I walk on down to HR. Carol! <laughs> Carol! He's not <laughs> knocking on the door. <laughs> yeah, it's good shit, man. It's good yeah. shit. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, the government is shut down. We got two fire documentaries. We got this unnecessary podcast. We're not shut down, sir. That's the sad thing. Yeah, we're not funded by the government, which is both good and bad, I guess. Uh, we were walking to the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Eva is. Eva shut down. She's a federal employee. But we were walking to the, the Women's March on Saturday. Women's March 2019. Go go women. Um, go, go team women. Hope you win. Finally, for fucking once. Your goddamn <laughs> history. Um, but Eva was like, dude, like, we could just be attacked right now. Like the government could just be Trump could just declare himself like president for life. And just, and I'm like, I don't know. And, and we were just, we, we remembered that state governments and city governments existed. And we're like, man, thank God for those right now. Cause like if everything was the federal government, we'd really be fucked, but yeah. Let me be in a totalitarian military state. I'm crazy. Yeah, we're not that far off, though. People think we're a lot farther from that than uh, we actually are. Right. I know. We've, we've never been invaded, you know, physically. We've, we've been attacked a couple times, but we don't have that, that feeling of doom. Like, we're not, you know, right after the 40s, we were real um, anti-Hitler and anti-Nazi. We knew what fascism was and, and knew that it was bad. Now we, do, we don't remember that, it seems like, these days. 
Yeah. Um, we don't remember what it looks like. Like back then, we really knew what it fucking looks like. And I don't know if we talked about um, going back in time to kill Hitler last pod. I don't know if you remember. But um, I don't, I, I, it's been a popular thing. Like, would you go back in time to kill Hitler? And I always thought, like, well, why wouldn't you? And then I thought, well, logic, like, here's a scenario. What if, if you killed Hitler um, 30 years later, some mega Hitler came along, you know, super Hitler. Better technology. Right. Better technology, better propaganda, uh, maybe a more docile people. Um, yeah. Better, better weapons. Like what if super Hitler came along and we, we um, did the same things we did in world war two, except now it's too fucking late. And then we're really fucked. And it's like, wow, maybe that is the argument for not killing baby Hitler. Yeah, well, Albert, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, uh, I don't know what kinds of weapons World War III will be fought with, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. <laughs> Fucking Einstein. Steiny. <clears throat> but no, the alien things is real. You, you, you mentioned the, the defense minister of Canada. I looked into it. Um, Did you watch that interview? That uh, that thing. He's done a bunch of interviews. Yeah, I've watched like the I think the committee hearing or whatever. But yeah, I watched a few things on him, and then and then I went down the the of course the predictable rabbit hole, which was tons yeah. of fun. But like, how could they not? How could probability wise they they must be here? And I think we talked about last time. Like, I think that when nuclear when we start understanding nuclear science, that might have led us unlock some doors that would potentially allow us to travel throughout space um like manipulating physics in that way and so maybe that's when aliens decided to come down in the 40s there was like another event next to roswell like in the 50s there was another new mexico alien event that was like super weird so that that area was hot for a while they were doing tons of nuke testing down there yeah but I don't know, man. It's it's a weird world. It's why you got to be active. You got to be active and vote. Do all that bullshit. Pray to your intergalactic overlords. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a, a shadow day on Thursday for two and a half hours with my state representative. Alex going to make shadow puppets as a bonding exercise. I'm going to make shadow puppets and I'm going to be like, this is socialized medicine. Hi, I'm here to help. <laughs> this is the big bad corporation. <laughs> Yeah, fuck you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that will be the shadow. But um, no, he's the number two ranking Democrat in the House, and I'm gonna ask him. And he he ran unopposed. That's how blue my district is. The Republicans were like, you know what? You have it. You take it. Yeah, you got. We it. don't want that hell. It's you're all going to hell anyway. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, so he ran unopposed, and so he wasn't at the women's march on Saturday. There were a bunch of elected officials that got recognized and. Eva was like, well, he doesn't need to be here. This is like a relatively small event, but I'm going to grill him on that. Um, I'm going to grill him on where he stands on like the, the huge homeless problem in Denver. We have, we have tons of homeless people here and I would love for them to be able to like camp out freely in certain designated areas and have kind of safe zones that are patrolled by officers rather than having officers hassle, spend their time hassling and, and telling people to pick up, uh, maybe have an area where the officers are to make sure everything's safe and mm-hmm. where they can live. Um, I want to ask him about that and, and like ask him 
like where he stands on harm reduction for, for drug abuse, like where, where he stands on making drugs legalized and, and keeping addicts alive so that they can then get re into recovery and give them agency and, and get their lives back. And anyway, I'm going to ask him all, all about all that stuff. And we have term limits in Colorado. So hopefully he'd run for like a higher office after that. Yeah. I, mean, I would just love to be the parrot in his ear where it's like, let me, can I explain to you? Like, I don't know if he's, because there's so many issues to tackle. I don't know if he's thought about harm reduction for the opioid crisis. Um, any good progressive, I think, would. So hopefully he's like, yeah, of course, dummy. And here's the bill I have on it. So anyway, yeah. we'll see. I'll report back. Yeah, I think once weed is legalized, that'll help a lot of uh, people who have problems with opiates. Because, I mean, everybody has a vice, but try to pick one that doesn't ruin your life, I feel like, uh -huh. you know? Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, clean needles is, is a way to keep people alive <clears throat> who are having addiction problems. My dad was a heroin addict and he got sober once cold turkey, but he got sober permanently because of the methadone program. Mm -hmm. And that was a socialist, Lyndon Johnson, great society program, essentially giving drug addicts drugs and people were fucking freaked out and it worked. So the fuck do I know? Yeah. But we don't have the methadone program anymore, except for some prisons are, are piloting it again. So hopefully more comes of that. Why is methadone so effective? Um, I think because you don't get high from it or it just keeps you from like, it keeps you from the negative side effects of it. And I think my dad explained that like, you can't get, you can't do heroin once you're on methadone. Like it like crushes the, 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 the uh, receptors. Yeah, it, it might not let you get high, but I'm pretty sure it keeps you. For, it either it doesn't let you get high or it keeps you from overdosing. Like there is something effective if you if you did fall off the wagon, but um, I think uh, it activates the same chemical receptors in the brain that respond to heroin. Um, taking methadone on a daily basis can keep you from going into withdrawal. So that's keeps you from withdrawal, and that's what keeps a lot of heroin addicts on heroin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. So it prevents things like cold sweats and nausea and muscle spasms and goosebumps. It also reduces your cravings. So it keeps the cravings down. It just returns you to like a normal state so you can work on your addiction, um, work on the process of why of your brain's addiction while you're not chemically dependent. You know what I mean? Because addiction is kind of different than chemical dependence. Addiction is like an OCD thing that happens in your brain and chemical dependence is something that involves all these physical side effects or, or withdrawal symptoms, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So one question that I've been thinking about about drug policy lately is that throughout our education, the policy was always don't do drugs. All drugs, every drug, just don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Drug, drugs are bad. Good. <laughs> so what, what is the proper, what is the proper lesson? Is it, do drugs, you can do drugs sometimes under the right circumstance. Like, should you never do coke? Should you do coke twice? You know what I mean? Should you do coke sporadically, maybe a few times a year to have fun at a party? Mm -hmm. Is that worse than, is doing a line of coke worse than drinking 10 beers? You know what I mean? What's, where's the line? Is it bad to take one hit of ecstasy? Is, should you never do that ever? Should right. you maybe do it a few times with 
proper hydration and people around you can support you. You know, like what's the, what's the real answer? Is there an answer? I don't know. Um, well, me being an authoritarian by nature, I think that I have the right answer, of course. But yeah, I'm sure this is such a complicated issue. I don't think I don't think I could pitch the right answer, obviously. Um, so I think you're right. But I, my my thinking is that we need to like radically change how we think of addiction because um, I don't like I don't think that doing drugs is immoral. I was telling Eva this. I don't think dr- doing drugs is immoral in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And in our society, because it's weird, we've reverse engineered this morality around drugs. Be- I think that because drugs are illegal, then it becomes immoral because we're a society that believes in laws. And like, if you believe in our society as like a functioning thing, then I think you have to believe that laws are, are moral, which is weird. And so I think once something becomes illegal, you think of it as immoral and I don't, I don't know, maybe it's a chicken or the egg. I don't know which came first, but I think that people in, in the United States look at doing drugs as immoral because it, it, it makes you lazy, makes you unmotivated. Um, but I really don't think so. Like, yes, doing heroin makes you unable to function. But if you do heroin every night to help you sleep and every, day, every morning you do, you do a little methadone, which gets rid of the side effects and does not get you high – and you like are a functioning heroin user, if there like there is there is a world where that's possible. If heroin was clean and dosage was was like easily measured and, and you and you could get it from a store and you had clean needles. Like there is some, I've watched interviews on YouTube of homeless people who are like, Yeah, I just I can I sleep so great when I'm on it and I used to have a job and I was like really high functioning and, and um, I was I was doing this heroin at night while working during the day as a program, a computer programmer. And he was like really lucid and talking clearly. And I'm like, this guy can clearly work, but he's homeless um, because of his drug addiction. Anyway, yeah, I think, I think we need to destigmatize that. But I think a lot of people that have type two diabetes don't need to be on diabetes medication. I think that their pancreas will become insulin sensitive once again, or insulin producing. Once again, once they go on, once they eat nothing but vegetables, essentially for like two or three weeks, mm-hmm. um, our fraternity brother Linus Pauling essentially proved this. Um, he cured diabetes with um, vegetables, and people all the time, like I think Mike Golick talked about this. Like people talk all the time, is that like when you lose weight and you start eating like a, a healthy human being, you don't use the insulin medicine anymore, or you use it much less or down to nothing. Um, so anyway, I think it's like type two diabetes. Like you can, you can fucking not take that insulin if you, if you wanted to, but you're using that as a crutch because you're addicted to sugar. Um, but I think it's also like depression. Um, I wrote this article. If you go to growyourpurpose.com slash addiction. Yeah. I think, I think addiction is like doing heroin, being addicted to heroin should be like having depression and taking sertraline, which is an antidepressant. I think it should be viewed as the same thing. The problem is heroin's illegal, so it's unregulated. You end up doing too much and too often, and you don't have any other method of like controlling yourself and making it so you can be functional. And now also you're a criminal. Um, it's just a mess. And then it's like fucking tainted with fentanyl. And so my cousin overdosed, as we call it, but now I'm trying to say that he died of a poisoning. He died of a, of a chemical poisoning. 
because uh, fentanyl poisoning rather um because like if you ate meat that had some other chemical that you didn't think was in there um that's super potent and gave you a heart attack like ephedra you wouldn't say like you overdosed on ephedra you'd say you were poisoned um and in places like india eating meat is immoral so eating eating beef in a place like india is like doing heroin you know it's like some needless satiating drug that you need to give to yourself that's bad for the planet um but but they don't make it illegal and they and and in india if there was a beef um supply that was tainted they the government would step in and provide clean meat anyway those are my two cents on the issue all right (laughs) more than two cents about 350. we'll go to grow slash addiction and I got all that. And then you could see I have these charts like drug overdose deaths per 100,000 residents. And you see the United States is super high, the highest amongst these 12 countries we're tracking. And then Portugal and Czech Republic introduced these policies um, that essentially legalize every single drug. They legalized heroin and the drug deaths went way down. And then there's another graph on growyourpurpose.com addiction where illegal drug use in Portugal before and after decriminalization. So heroin usage went down after it was decriminalized. So if you make drugs legal, people actually use them less. Interesting. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So that is the charts. That's the harm reduction model. Yeah, good charts. I like those charts. And then a lot of people, people I talked to about this, a lot of them are like, well, that's just not our culture. And it's a cultural Good difference. But I'm not sure it'll work here because our culture is different. And I'm like, ah, these fucking Americans insisting that their culture is special or better than anybody else's. Um, we're all people. We're all the same. Just implement the same policies that made it work over there. You know? Yep. All our cultures are made up by us. <laughs> cool. There's a funny scene in one of the Avengers where, or it's Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're like, we need to go to Glorp Glop. And someone's like, you made that word up. And Thor goes, all words are made up. <laughs> True. Yeah, you're so right, Thor. God. Damn it, Thor. Yeah. Well, um, hey, do you still wear clothes with holes in them? Because I do. Um, some of my clothes grow holes, and then I am forced to continue to wear them. You don't have your wife doesn't like be like you should throw those out. There's holes in them. Um, no, I, I don't have very many clothes, so something's got to be pretty bad for me to have to throw it out. I mean, I'm not walking around with holes with shirts with shirts with holes in them, but socks, holes. You know what I mean. My toe's going through. I made peace with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Socks, mm-hmm. holes. What about underwear? Underwear. Once that waistband gets stretched out, that's it. You gotta go. You gotta go for new now. You don't get a little crotch hole, a little hole, a little hole <laughs> popping through. Sometimes on the very bottom. Yeah. Just from the the, the walking motion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. The mud grundles get all worn out. do you sell replacement grundle pads for boxers here (laughs) Uh, looking for a grundle patch 
Like, yeah, I know what it is. What color do you want? What size? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, this, com- this stand-up comedian we saw a few weeks ago, or I- actually I was watching the same comedian on YouTube, and he was like, this guy was wearing a tattoo that I can only describe that it can only be described as a Mountain Dew tattoo. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And then he went on to explain what he meant, but it was, it was very funny. Yeah, I love stand-up. What do you think about Louis C.K. coming back? Um, I'm not going not to support that or watch that. He's, he has plenty of money. I think he can just, he can just, he can just not do that. <laughs> yeah, keep your money, bud. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I can't listen to him any, even like old stuff when he was on Opie and Anthony, I loved him. But now if I listen to it, I'm like, ah, I can't get the idea out of your mind of like you being creepy and like putting women in awkward situations. Yeah. I, I, even if they didn't work for him, um, you have to understand like being a large man puts you in like, you have certain physical authority. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you have to realize that like some women have had experience of sexual abuse and trauma and <clears throat> you have to be very, very careful in that sense. You have to make absolutely sure that these people wanna want you to jerk off in front of them. You can't just ask once and very quickly whip it out. You gotta you gotta be a little more <clears throat> discreet, I suppose. <laughs> Leave some room for some dialogue. <laughs> yeah, you got to leave room for dialogue. Plenty of dialogue. Consent needs to be happening. Maybe even some trialogue. Yes, trialogue would make sense. Quad quadlog. Quadlog. Quadlog right now about me jerking <laughs> off. But um, yeah, I'm not down with that. There's there's degrees of sexual assault or sexual misconduct, and and there that's on there. It's on there. You know, I'm not going to argue about where on the spectrum or where on the degrees it is but it's on there and um and i was telling my friend matt this and he was like oh you're so so full of shit it wasn't a big deal and even if it i don't i think it was a big deal but i was like we're sending a message by boycotting him by not listening to him we're sending a message to like the younger people in the world people who are like 14 or 15 and we're saying like if you want to have a career you have to be extra, you have to be extra, an extra gentleman. You have to be a gentleman, like to the fucking umpteenth degree. You can't be, you can't just be a pervert. Like, you, like women are allowed. Unless you're the president. Right. Do you agree with me on any of this or no? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I would say that I do. Yeah, because I have friends who, who disagree and who think they should listen to them. And these are friends with young boys um, who, who <laughs> who they've kidnapped. No, they have sons. Um, I've talked to people who have sons who are like 10 to 15 to 18 years old. I'm telling them like, you're a set, you're, you, you don't mean to send this message, but you are sending a message to your son that it's okay to sexually assault, to jerk off in front of a woman um, without like, without really getting her, cons- like kind of using your power to like do this kind of stuff. Like you're essentially giving, you're allowing them to do that. And, like, I don't want to send your son that message. Um, and that's how you change society. It's an it might be an overcorrection, but Louis C.K. is the canary in the coal mine. Like I'm sorry, Louis. Like we should are, there be a road to redemption? Should there be uh, a road to redemption for him? 
No, no, he could donate all his money if he wants to women's causes, and even then, he's still hurting women by by showing up on TV. Like that hurts a lot of people. Not not his intention. Nobody's. That's the most hate, most malice in this world is unintentional. And so when when I say like you're hurting people or like that's racist or or this person is doing this to somebody else, everyone thinks it's like it's. In, I'm saying they're intentionally doing it, but they're not. But just because you don't intentionally do something doesn't mean you're not doing it. Anyway, I don't think there should be a road to redemption. Just he's rich, let him die, and then that'll be the lesson to the kiddos. Like, because then the <laughs> lesson will be the kiddos would be no, there's no road to redemption. No, you can't. Sexual misconduct is unacceptable. Like, I, I don't, you know, I think it's a good lesson to teach. And like a rich, a rich white dude can't do any more specials. Like, it's, it's not that not that big of a deal right yeah like cosby oh yeah That's right the that obviously much worse and much you know further down on the gross creepo spectrum and yeah certainly no road for redemption for that guy yeah it's pretty much as bad as it gets <clears throat> uh yeah you'd say so yeah i'd say so for sure <laughs> Yeah, someone said that Bill Cosby is the most prolific serial rapist of all time. Yeah, I could I could see these. He might be the most famous, but there's been so many. Well, I mean, Charlemagne. There's got to be a good point for Charlemagne, I think. Yeah, I guess um, in show business. Modern times, I, I think, yeah. Yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, chauvinism is a crazy thing. We've built ourselves, going back to like Annihilation, how... Our, our biology is based on self-destruction. Our, our biology and society is based on self-destruction. Our society is kind of also based on paternalism, unfortunately. Like, there were maternal lineage Native American tribes, and they all got murdered out. So, like, it's pretty much like the dominant cultures throughout history have almost all been, like, patriarchal. And, yeah, let's give the ladies a try. Let's... <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like our society is very hedonistic right now, very just oh, yeah. pleasure seeking, and that's a big, like that's that's pretty much what Penn State was for me, just like Pleasure Island, you know. And also like the worst kinds of pleasure, like that, that was a really dumb decision for me to go to Penn State. I, I'm such a different person now than I am then. I'm thankful for all the friends I had there, but the like if you ask a 32 year old AJ, if you ask me right now do you want to go to a place for four years? That's like three hours from any major city. Um, you're, you're too young. You, you, you're not able to get into any of the nightlife, like drinking options. Unsupervised. You're, I don't know, man. Yeah. But I, you could be unsupervised in a city. Like I think I should have went to like fucking Toronto or something. Up in Canada. I think if I could do it again, I think if, yeah, I think, I think a 32 year old AJ would, would like do Toronto. Or do like New York City, or do um, like San Diego, you know. But anywho, any hoodles. <laughs> Penn State was hedonistic, just like can't fucking cereal and jerking off and bong rips and shots. Remember yeah, parties and fucking and fucking flies in the bathroom and many people in the showers. Dude, it got to a point where, like, school, like, going to class was maybe 5% of my college 
it was like a tertiary kind of. It was like yeah, like not even maybe, secondary. And maybe I'll get to class. Yeah, I, like, I would say that my class attendance was probably around like twenty, twenty percent for all maybe of college. Like, yeah, for all of college, probably. So what was it freshman year or sophomore year? Like five percent. Um. I would say I went to 20% of classes per year. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, total or on average over everything, one out of every five classes I went to. Because, I mean, there were some classes. I still have nightmares, not so often right now, but of just, like, me, like, at the end of college, and there's, um, like, a math class that I – an accounting class that I hadn't been to all semester, and the final's coming up, and I I have to pass it. Awful. I forgot about this class all semester. I hope the professor doesn't rec- doesn't realize this new face for the first time all semester. Yep. So that's I, always a crazy. I got that nightmare because I've lived that life. Yep, we did live the, that life. Dude, I literally lived that life where I'm like, shit, I haven't been to this class. It's been like four weeks since I've been to the class. Like, this professor, I'm gonna show up, and this professor gonna be like, oh, I thought you dropped this class. Yeah, it's just a snowball effect because you're like, ah, I didn't go, I didn't go last time, so like, ah, I don't, I don't want to go now and have to like catch up with all that. Right. Yeah, and now it's like been three times, so like, what's one more time? I mean, the weekend's yep. almost here. Well, I still have ten late drop credits, so it looks like I'm dropping the class. And I've been to class. I go to class high all the time, but starting now, I'm not going to go to class high, and I'm high, so I can't go to class. <laughs> I was like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy the the minimum amount of effort that could be put into past college and still pass. Like, it shouldn't be that low. But it was. They just want your fucking money, dude. It's a total that is, scheme. That is what it is. They just want the money. They don't care. Why would they kick somebody out? It's $80,000. You want their cash. That's for in-state. It's like one thirty out. And that was back in 10, 12 years ago. So. Yeah. What a racket. What a fucking racket. I got to ask. Oh, I got to write this down. I got to ask Alec Garnett about what he thinks of free, free, uh, free university, free college, free public college. Yeah. Free community college. Why not? University, free bachelor's degrees. Come on, let's do it. Do it. Let's do it. Do it. They have that in Spain. They got that in Czech Republic. They got that. They said, check it out. Belgium. The first time I realized I was in Belgium, the dude, I was like, where do you go to school? I was talking to some, some random dude. I was like, you, you're going to show me around. I'll buy you drinks. And um, he had a backpack on. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. I'm like, cool. You want to hang? And um, I was like, where do you go to? What university do you go to? He's like, I go to the free university. I'm like, what do you mean the free university? He's like, it's <laughs> called the free university of Brussels. And I'm like, what are you homeless? He's like, no, nah, son. <laughs> In fucking Belgium, <laughs> living the best life. So. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I ain't gotta go back and forth with you, now. living my best life. <laughs> Can I go back in time? <laughs> so hey, who does more house tours, you or Angel? House tours. House chores. Chores around the house. Like when somebody comes to the house and you give them a tour. This is the foyer. No. Now, who cleans up? Who does when you divvy up the cleaning, the house chores? Who uh, who does more? Who does more of the adulting of the responsibilities between you and Angel? Is it even more her, more you? What have you? 
I would say that we split it up pretty good. I would say that there's there's sometimes where she does more and then things will go undone for like a week and pile up and then I'll just do everything all at once. So it kind of evens out in that respect. Like she's like the do everything a little at a time, keep it clean, keep it clean. And I'm like the once it gets dirty, then I will clean, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have like shared, like do you ever have to like um, have the landlord or handyman come over or do you have to like fix car stuff or taxes or like other shit like that? Did, or vacate trips to see family? I mean, organizing things like that. Is that even? Do you think she does more? What do you think she would say as well? Well, when it comes to like bills and all that kind of stuff, we just split everything 50-50. It's just right. easier that way. We don't have a shared bank account because like we don't make enough money to ha- to need a shared bank account. Like she makes enough money to pay her bills plus a little extra, but not much. And I make enough money to pay my bills plus a little extra, but not much. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of keep it. We're on the straight track and we'll just keep it straight and we'll just keep going straight. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, we, we're definitely a good partnership of just like keeping our home life from burning around us, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good. So when I've read that women and even talk, will not stop talking about how women traditionally will are almost always going to be doing, if anyone's doing more work, it's women. Um, if, if a man and woman are living together, it's almost always going to be the woman. Um, and she sees it as chauvinism. And I think it, it's chauvinism, even if it's unintentional. Um, just like I was saying, most, most things that are bad are usually unintentional. But um, I think it's because like most men are lazy and like most men have a lower threshold for like, I mean, a higher threshold for like the garbage that'll pile up around them or like the tasks that will get undone. And she doesn't think so. She just thinks that once men get in the relationship, they like make women do it. So it, she could be right. That could be happening. But I also think what's happening, if, I think maybe two things could be happening. Both could be happening. But yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's actually pretty well documented in like um, social psychology is that women tend to be more orderly. So they will have a lower tolerance for, or I guess a higher tolerance for, uh, for stuff being messy. So even if, even if someone notices a mess 30 seconds before the other person on average, that same person is still going to be saying, can you clean this up? 30 seconds. Even if, even if it's 10 seconds, that person is still going to notice it first every time. So even if the difference is very small, it's still going to play out that way every time. So like, Angel is more orderly than me, so stuff starts to get messy. She cares before I do, because I just have a, a lower threshold for it. I just don't care as much, but I try to, you know, I try to offset that by keeping an eye on it. Well, maybe I mean maybe men, are, maybe men are less orderly because men go from their mom taking care of them to their significant other taking care of them. Maybe we. I mean, I, I cooked and for myself and did my own laundry because my mom did other shit. Um, but but that, that could be part of the case. But really, I just don't give a shit. Like, I would go years without cleaning the baseboards and Evil spent days scrubbing the baseboards of our entire thousand square foot apartment. Like, I would never do that. I never thought, I've never thought about baseboards in my whole life. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I mean, let me know, like, next, if you're living in a place more than, like, two, three years, let me know if uh, if you ever end up cleaning the baseboards. Because I find that fucking random. 
Yeah, we have a uh, like laminate floorboards. Nice. So it's like not real wood, just like right. long things that fit together. Yeah, we got laminate. Let's do a little uh, Swiffer, Swiffer wet jet on those bad boys. Yeah, we got laminate. I'm saying the boards. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we got laminate. We hey, we got laminate. Um, yeah, we got laminate. I'm looking laminate. You kidding me? Goes like an hammer. I don't mean the floors. She was cleaning like the bottom of the walls. You know what I mean? Okay. The little thing that's on the bottom of the walls. So like anyway. the molding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I don't know. I think I think men are are just like I'll, I would go years. I'll go four weeks without doing the, the bathroom when I lived alone. But now that I'm with her, I do it every week. So, um, but it's still not like I'm cleaning more, but she's still doing more of the house chores. Like, because I won't care like about something with the car or um, yeah, like the getting the car seats shampooed. I'm like, I don't fucking care. So she puts it on her list and then she does it. And then she's like, I'm doing so much more than you. Like, well, yeah, that's because you give a shit. Like I really don't care the problem is i'm reaping the benefits of her work right i get i don't notice the baseboards but i guess i enjoy them i don't think the baseboards matter but the the car seats being right. well, you can appreciate it but you don't require it yeah so but because i appreciate it i need to like participate so anyway just an interesting interesting thing dynamic you know yeah well one thing that i've noticed over the years is that a woman will never yell at you if you're doing the dishes so I strategically leave dishes in the sink. And then when she gets home from work, I just am doing the dishes as she comes in the door. So then immediately she's like, oh, and just nice. lifts, up the whole, lifts up the whole situation. Wow, fucking genius. So, so be doing a chore as soon as she comes in. Be doing it. Be, you be the chore. Be doing it. Don't just do the chore. Be the chore. You be understand? It. Be that chore. We got we, we got laminate. No, that's a perfect. I'm totally gonna fucking do that now. She hates. I, you know, I have to put the dishes in the dishwasher, but she always has to rearrange. Everything <laughs> yeah, because she's the most anal retentive person ever. So she has to rearrange them for optimal sorting to fit in that two extra the two extra dishes. So, but but I will certainly be doing a chore next time she every time she comes in. Yeah, it's a perfect, perfect scenario. Have you ever um, been like doing chores and you try to half-ass something but end up making it way worse? Like you want to like move something so like you don't turn around, you just kind of move it and end yeah. up it all over the counter. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The classic for me is trying to carry too much. Like, well, I could do, th I could do a third trip, but I'm going to try and do it all in this second trip. Yeah. And then I just smashed the full case of glass liquid shit. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you got three bags hanging on each pinky. Yeah. I'm like, well, instead of, instead of an extra 30 seconds of work, I just gave myself an extra 20 minutes of work. <laughs> and I just lost $30 worth of merchandise. Great job, AJ. Really fucking yep. smart. Really smart. Really smart. Not Look, smart. <laughs> oh my god god sir well it's it's mlk day we got to give it up for for that good doctor it was good he was a neurosurgeon i think 
I just had to say that. I think he was a, he was probably a doctor of theology, right? No, neurosurgeon. No, he wasn't a neurosurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> like, Could you imagine if he was, though? Like, I have a dream that I can find dreams in your brain. <laughs> yeah, I will find dreams in the brain. I have a dream. I have a, I have a dream. It's in the Here it is. I found the dream location. <laughs> no. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure was a doctor of what? I'm going to say theology. Boom! Doctorate in systematic theology. All right. There you go. So, uh, just give I don't know what theols are, but he's good at them. The science of theols. Well, I think theo means knowledge. Fam so, just a doctorate of like religious studies? No, it just means God, theos. Yeah, religious studies. <clears throat> so, there we go. I'm a doctorate of fake things in the sky. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I would be lambasted in the media for saying that if I was someone of notoriety. Yeah, but you'd be right. Let me write you a prescription oh. for Jesus. All the non-theists like me would, would love it. Yep. Will we ever have an atheistic president? I don't know, man. We, this might be our last president for all we know. Yeah, and yeah, we have one right now. He's definitely like, he's not smart enough to even think of God, like, he's the dumbest. <laughs> I love God. God loves me. He told me I'm the best. Right. I am God. So. <laughs> Want to fight about it? <laughs> I don't know, sir. I just don't know. Yep. Well, it's about midnight here oh. on the yeah. East Coast. It's a late one for you. Maybe we can yeah, keep yeah, this, this going next week. Yeah, a little TBC. TBC. I don't know. What is what is it? To be continued? Ah, I guess I should have. You know, 10 p.m. is late for me. I guess I'm, I'm not fine. Or, or, or toenail clipper brush comb. Either one. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could TBC with that. TCBY. TCBY treats. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like uh, like we'll we'll continue this next week, and uh, oh yeah, we'll get on and we'll do some more hot pod, right? Yeah, cool. Well, I uh, I guess we'll let we'll let the Strokes take us out. As we oh, go. A little drumby, you like the Strokes, sir? Yeah, I rocked some Strokes. Strokes are pretty dope. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll let the Strokes someday take us out. And Thanks, Lee. A good unnecessary pod. Unnecessarily good. Yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah.